0: Hello and welcome to Mouthwash, TBD Conferences podcast with me, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TBD Conference and founder of Emerging Technology Advisory here forth. My guest today is none other than Flavia Richardson, Silicon Valley Bank's VP of Early Stage Practice Team. She manages a portfolio of early stage and growth technology companies with a focus on life sciences and healthcare. Flavia knows what it takes to make it in the startup world and has handled investment portfolios worth up to 30 million with companies around the globe. Not only does she see the big picture, but she's also got an eye for deal details. Find out more over at svb.com and enjoy the show. All right. Hello and welcome to Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident every weeknight with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of the TBD conference and one smart cookie. Tonight's cookie is none other than Flavia Richardson from Silicon Valley Bank. Um, But before we get going and I introduce Flavia fully, let's talk a bit about Twitter spaces, the place where you're at at the moment. Um, It's a new feature on Twitter. So let me take a minute to just explain that a bit. The top bit where you're seeing all the text and everything like that is called The Nest where speakers can post tweets and we discuss them in a little section called desert island tweets Um, then if you look at the bottom of your phone screens you should see some icons some dots some people some heart with a plus etc um click on the one on the right at the moment if you would do me a huge favor and um that one's going to share it with your followers at the moment just let them know you're in here it sort of promotes the space and that sort of stuff um it's the staple with an arrow pointing up so yeah if you let them know the world that you found something great, more people will come in. And that's a good thing because for every person you entice into tonight's space and every space on Mouthwash, a tree is going to get planted courtesy of the incredibly beautiful people over at Ecology who make offsetting your carbon footprint super easy. I've done it. It's incredibly good. Um, find out more about Ecology uh, over at Ecology.com. And it's spelt weird, so uh, get a pen, E-C-O-L-O-G-I. Dot com. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com. Whether it's personal stuff you want to offset or for your business, Elliot and the team are really amazing people to um, work with. And uh, thanks also to Shell for sponsoring the show. Shell has recently published a target to be a net zero emissions energy business for 2050 or sooner in step with society. Uh, if you want to find out more about how Shell is powering progress, nip over to shell.com. Forward slash powering progress. Uh, I am excited actually to announce we've got Dan Jevons joining us um, from the end at the end of the season uh, to talk about business digitization and uh, how we're going to get ahead of various curves that are coming at us. So I definitely recommend you um, log in for that. It's May Fourteenth. That's the very last show that we're doing in the season one. Right, okay, doke. On with tonight's fresh chat. Um, would everyone reach for the heart button while I t- set over to the rest of this uh, on your screens and show Flavia some love with an emoji of your choosing. Don't worry, there's only four to choose from, but uh, let her know that you are happy for her to be there with whatever emoji that you choose uh, while I talk about her bio. So Flavia is a powerhouse. Keep them going as well. Handling double digits, multi-million dollar portfolios. She and the team at Silicon Valley Bank help companies around the world. Um, they've helped more than uh, 30,000 startups become really successful, and they're one of the largest banks in the US. Flavia, uh, I've known her for a while. She's been incredibly passionate about people and manages a portfolio that really reflects that. Namely, the early stage sort of growth technology companies that focus on life sciences and healthcare sectors. She'll tell us more about that um, as we go through the show. Um, she's incredibly passionate also about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurialism and sort of you know the, the market around that. Um, but also, many people don't know, the law and uh, possibly the most detailed VC I've ever been uh, had the pleasure of having a chat with as well. Um, so welcome to Mouthwad, Flavia. It's an it, 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 absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you ever so much for doing this. Um, yeah, so are you there?
1: Hi, hi, Paul. And hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very, very happy. And thank you for all the love, all all the emojis. I really have enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Good. We, we are about the uh, the love and emojis at Mouthwash. Uh, we are a positive podcasting-esque Twitter space audio thing. Uh, we, we haven't really put our full name on it and that sort of thing. But before we get going, Mouthwash isn't just me chatting um, with Flavia, though. I want you to uh, feel like you can ask questions, and please do. Use the hashtag MouthwashShow, all one word, and I'll do my best to get them in and... Uh, Hopefully, Flavia, if she's got a bit of time in between her very, very busy schedule, she might even nip through afterwards and answer you directly afterwards as well. Yep, she's just that nice. Okie doke. (laughs) Um, Flavia, let's crack on. What was the last thing you thought of when you woke up this morning?
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) It was the first time in six months I actually um, went to London. So I was very excited to see people face to face and... Yes, to to go in our amazing ecosystem, I just forgot the you know how it feels to be in a busy city, meeting great people, um, founders, investors. I, yeah, I woke up buzzing.
0: Excellent, excellent. And so how was the first trip in? Was it a bit sort of weird, or did you? You, you know, right? I
1: I thought it would be weird, but I don't know, guys, if you have gone to London or you're already there. I think that everybody, every space has been accommodating outside areas, and I've, I felt if I, if I, if I didn't know any better, I, I couldn't say there was a major difference. Actually, it felt so natural to be among people. Um, I, I think that this is this is what I've been missing for over a year now, and it was, it's really great to see how everything's adapting is coming back to some sort of normality.
0: Yeah, I can tell you for for uh, no, not a lot of money that Spitalfields was absolutely uh, rammed today. There were lots of people, but being very sort of distance, wearing masks. Yeah, they're just eager to, I think, not cook for themselves anymore. <laughs> so I think that's the biggest one.
1: <laughs> I think everybody says that. Why? Right?
0: <laughs> I think it's an important part. Um, tell yeah. me about your role at Silicon Valley Bank um, and how it changed over the last twelve months? Because I know it's been it's been interesting for you guys.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, so about my role, I lead on the early stage life sciences and healthcare portfolio for SV Unimia
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I. This means that I work very closely with companies from seed to Series A in exactly that critical part of their journey where they're still working out a lot, a number of kind of very groundwork things there, or they're spinning out from university after so many years of of research. And it's a very, you know, it's a very challenging and a very rewarding, um, rewarding part of the journey for, for them. And of course, for me, because I'm able to input and connect at many, many different levels. Um, for us at SUV, um, I think that the most important, the most important element that many people will know, we're kind of sitting at the heart of our ecosystem, working closely with private equity and venture capital funds and their portfolio companies. So for us last year, it was about how can, you know, how could we make the transition to digital being a digital first company um, and still retain that primary goal to ensure that our clients are supported um, through what has been a very difficult year. Not everybody has been able to, benefit from the lockdown and from the trends in the market Um, for us that has been at the core of everything that we've done so working very hard at translating some of the initiatives we would have had face to face that we would have done in a normal business context in a digital um, format or to try to replicate the level of connectivity of kind of personal approach and the way we we, we stand to work with everyone in the ecosystem. So for, for us, this is how, how last year has been. Looking into the future, the next kind of 24 months, um, I think SVB is on an incredible growth journey. And there are very good reasons for this. Um, our ecosystems in Europe are maturing, are getting Bigger and bigger uh, in the venture capital, in the innovation. We all read and, and you know live and breathe this um, in these ecosystems, and they're just getting massive. There's so much going on, and it just means that our role as an organization and the complete solutions we offer. Become increasingly relevant for emerging fund managers for their portfolio companies for those companies that have gone through a number of funding rounds and now they're looking for the American expansion. So mm-hmm. I I feel I feel very privileged to be in an organization that truly sits at the heart of this part of our our economies that is um, is bidding strong and is going to become increasingly important to get out of. Um, economic standstill and to be able to create new jobs and and bring things to the market so it's it's a huge responsibility but i think it's it's a very rewarding journey um and it would be for everyone involved
0: definitely i've been speaking with a lot of vcs recently and um, a lot of people um, have been saying i've I've had to draw from new skills that i didn't know i had and Mm. that's how do you see your job um Well, you sort of said roughly how it changed over the last month. Is there anything in particular that you feel that you've grown in? And how do you feel, uh, how do you see your job changing over the next um, 24 months?
1: This is a very good question. Um, Fundamentally for me, the last kind of 12 months have been um, going back and doing quite a lot of upskilling, Mm -hmm. uh, learning a lot more about this sector in which I have um, grounded my practice Um, Naturally, you know, I come from an investment background. I've spent over seven years working in a couple of funds in London, um, working with companies exactly in this stage, but looking very agnostically from kind of SaaS solutions to fintech to Mm -hmm. um, some in healthcare and and diagnostics. So, uh, for me it's it was about grounding and exactly drawing on those on those skills that i i, I have done in the past and apply them concentrating them in one area um, i think moving forward the roles that organizations and people like myself will play is to be this soundboard this advice be able to provide you know actionable data inside and be able to help our clients in a way that we have never done before, by knowing what we do and the ecosystems where uh, we can contribute a lot more. So for me, moving forward, I'm getting involved in a number of initiatives in the space, um, mm-hmm. hopefully announcing soon um, in Oxford, in Cambridge. So working with those um, university spin outs, supporting them in their journey, providing more insight, more tangible um, tangible information that they can apply in their business and ensure that the funding journey is is not just for a limited few, but it, it democratized. it's democratised, is enabling them to go out there. And I know we we're going to touch on VCs and how everything's changing um, and what specifically is changing, but I think that education and knowledge and insight is going to become a currency in what we do, and for me, more most importantly, you know, in order to help companies, knowledge and how it applies.
0: Definitely, I couldn't agree more. Let's pause on that education for a sec, um, or, or, or you know, talk a bit, a bit more about that because I think that's part of the, the issue and the beauty of the ecosystem with startups. Um, again, from startups I've spoken with, interview in the past, and that sort of stuff, a lot of it came down to like who you know, and you know, you were just in the right. Um, area at the right time and i just bumped into and that's sort the of stuff and then there is hard and fast sort of rules and ways of doing things when it comes to education how do you write a curriculum for that what 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 are you focusing on oh
1: that's a that's a very interesting question for me i'm, I'm putting together now the, the actually the basis of of a course but i'm kind of looking um the other way around what has made specific companies very successful and how their journey um and what what has what has the, their their journey, um, how it has evolved. So working backwards. What do you actually need to do to be very successful from a funding perspective? What happens in a company, the dynamics, the hiring, um, the the type of, you know, the type of things that you need to put in place? I'm starting with the capitalization because I think this is a place that notoriously very tech or science based founders or founding teams um, have found it very difficult to get, uh, get, get their heads around. And there is this sort of mysticism around capitalization. How do you blend equity and debt and types of investors? And what, you know, how that journey unfolds? Um, For me, that is the first kind of chapter. The second is the people and how organizations change, especially high growth tech. We've seen how founding teams have to manage going from kind of five people to 20 before kind of Series A, and then they have to get in a a year or probably less to kind of the 50, 100. Um, In some cases, it's it's a much faster growth. So being able to handle those processes becomes increasingly important. And to prepare yourself as a founder or, or founding team to have that knowledge, or at least to be able to understand the expertise that you need to bring in, to deliver that.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think it's a really interesting time in that whole space and a lot of opportunity um, in, that, in, that, in that regard. Um, all right, let's shift to funding. Um, how's the <laughs> last uh, year impacted the next 24 months, do you think? What's going to stick around?
1: Oh, my, that's a good question. Well, everybody will know that the last 12 months have been transformative for our ecosystem. There are a few reasons why I say that. Um, as we kind of went into this lockdown, um, every single venture fund um, and across the whole investment ecosystem, not just venture fund, private equity, all the way up uh, into kind of institutional investors, uh, have been forced to revise the way they're doing business, the way they're deploying that capital. Um, And after kind of Q2, where everybody was a bit kind of edgy, not knowing necessarily what's going to happen next, we saw a lot of funds looking inwards at their portfolio. Um, We've seen this burst of activity. So in the UK, um, I'm sure that everybody will know, we had like 17 billion invested up from 13 in 2019, which everybody thought would be a record year. Um, And on the fund size... We've had um, in the U.S. about 56 billion raised by new funds, venture capital funds, and in Europe we had around 14 billion, which is a lot more than previously. Um, What that means is that over the next 24 months, um, just judging by 2020, what the availability of capital out there has increased. So I think we're going to see. A lot more activity we're going to see a lot more investment across the whole spectrum from early stage into the um you know later stages uh, where companies are kind of preparing for that exit for that ipo i think we're going to see a lot more activity across many different uh, ecosystems across europe that is definitely here to stay um mm. and it's a it's a good thing um I think the other thing that we've, we've you know, everybody would have observed um, are governments and agencies of the governments, like British Business Bank, um, European Investment Fund, committing uh, tens of billions to support SMEs, to support uh, businesses, and to get out of um, this this sort of post-lockdown um, almost. The, you know, contraction of of the economy, and I think that that is um, going to catalyze parts of of our country and parts of Europe that have naturally never attracted a lot of investment. So it's potentially leveling the play playing field across countries and across of course, of course the continent. So it doesn't you know you don't have to be in London to be able to access capital. Um, you can do that from Doncaster or Sheffield or mm. um, Glasgow. And I think that, that, is, that is th- those are the type of policies that have such an important power and they can do amazing things for local economies
0: and local ecosystems. Mm. I was going to ask about that about the location element because obviously previously the sort of story has been you've got to be near the VC in order to you know be funded and that sort of stuff specifically in America but it, it happens over here in Europe and, the, and other places. Um there seems to be a bit of a new dynamic between VCs and founders. I won't say it's you know transformative but it it's definitely there. Um you know I think that's because needs must in that sort of thing. Would you agree with that? I think this this is indeed
1: true. Um this is as we started in in last year i would have agreed with you it would have been very unlikely that they would have invested in a company without necessarily meeting meeting the team um and the founders several times i think everybody that has gone through that journey would be very familiar with how how the process unfolds um uh, after Q2, we've seen that actually the barriers have lowered um, and they have lowered in a very different way that people might might um, might estimate. It's not that everything has shifted digitally, but one of the things that um, investors realize is that now they they can have deal flow and they could they could look at all of the things that are coming through and. Um, and be able to review a lot more deals because they don't have to meet, um, you know, five people a day. They can have 10 conversations a day with, with, f- remotely with companies, with founders. So I think it's, it's getting, it's getting um, we're getting to a point where the world has never really been more uh, open and connected for entrepreneurs. It means that you could literally fund your company irrespective of where you are geographically um you could go and speak with the us funds and we've seen how many uh, how many funds from the us have invested in uk businesses and in europe without actually meeting once um face to face so i think we we that is an important trend and i think it's is definitely one to stay
0: I was going to ask you what I, I'm, I'm interested in whether it does stay and that sort of stuff, or whether it is just sort of they were forced to do it. To now that it's like no, 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 I actually prefer you coming to my office and that sort of thing. What do you, what else do you think is going to change over the next few years?
1: Um, oh, that, that is that is um, that is I think it's it's a very good one, a good question. Um, the way I see the ecosystem, I remember when I started in this space, there were like thirty funds. Um. And everybody kind of knew everybody. And now we have close to kind of 800 funds, which is, is, you know, amazing growth. Our ecosystems are maturing. So this venture capital space is growing to, um, as as it happened in the U.S., is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So we're going to see funds that are larger and larger, and potentially shifting towards companies that are much later stage because they will have just a lot more capital on the management. Last year, we've kind of seen Highland raising close to, I think, 900000000 million. We've seen Atomico very close to 900000000 million. Um, we've seen um, quite a number of funds being raised by organizations like Octopus and many others. So we're seeing them managing a lot more money Um, And for that reason, I feel that definitely we're probably, as it happened in the US, these larger funds are going to focus their attention to companies that have a lot more traction Mm. and they're slightly more focused on the later stages. What that actually means is that first time fund managers. So these are teams of people that want to invest very early on. They have the smaller funds. Um, actually, we'll find it a lot more difficult. And last year, it was kind of a record in the negative sense. Only 3.4 percent of all of the capital went to new fund managers. So it's very clear that um, even for those that manage funds, it's going to become a little bit more difficult to do that without having previous funds. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and for companies, Let's up a bit. Yeah,
0: go for it. Mm, sorry, go on. sorry, no, I didn't, go- I didn't think you. Oh, really? no, it's fine. Um, so before you get to the funding stage, you've got to make decisions on startups and funder and uh, founders and that sort of thing. A lot yes. has changed in 2020 about the way consumers interact, things that they're interested in, preferences, and that sort of stuff. What uh research and insights have have you looked at during this time? Because there is no playbook for it we we have had pandemics before but we haven't really had anything that, that felt yeah. as sort of earth-shattering as this so has that sort of uh you know made you think differently and moving forward or is it are, is vc just going to slide back into where it was
1: i don't think it's going to slide back i think that we're on an upward trajectory where <laughs> it, changes are here to stay it's whether you know in terms of of research and insight I find that professionally, there are a few sources which I use religiously to kind of update myself on what happens out there. Many people will be familiar with PitchBook and Buhurst. PitchBook is a, a lot more broader scope, mm. very focused research, very good quality data Um worldwide so from that perspective if you're very interested kind of one by one vertical by vertical they have amazing analysis they have amazing systems that you can you can access um viewhurst is more focused on our ecosystem it's is it has yeah. a lot more kind of um early stage pre-vc data which is very very useful um more specifically, I know that there are many found founders and people looking in into you know how they can position themselves. Um, Nielsen and Gardner are definitely producing a lot of uh, a lot of reports with some of these, Trends and systematic changes in specific sector and subsector, like in e-commerce, in automation, um, different different solutions that are coming to the market, they're emerging, um, or the the sort of diffusion of technology. I, I think that if I was to um, recommend any of those, definitely Gartner and, and Nielsen are very good for kind of positioning yourself and understanding what happens. Um, I, I do, personally, I do like the sort of MIT, Harvard, sort of snippets online, which you can find. They tend to write very relevant, very current um, bits that are coming from research in the university, um, findings. So having, you know, having a subscription, being able to see some of the things that are happening out there and some of these opinions in, from academia, I find it useful I know not everybody takes the same view, Mm. but it does help understand how other organizations are approaching a specific problem um, and being able to kind of marry it up academia with business.
0: Um, I'm eager in the time. I'm just sort of looking uh, down. I want to talk about sustainability. Both sponsors of the show are really focused sure. on that. Um, how can VCs um, help the world be more sustainable? Obviously, they've got to make a buck. Everyone's uh, interested in the bottom line. But I feel yeah. like they they are one of the power axes of the world that can actually like push an agenda if they want to. That
1: that is, you know, that is a, an important that is that, that's an important kind of. Um, area to, to discuss today sustainability obviously has kind of three areas three elements which has to you know you have to deliver in, in order to achieve it and one is kind of economic and finance viability which venture capital does particularly well it ensures that um, initiatives and projects have an ability to uh, and potential to scale and or have found a, a way of hacking a specific challenge uh, or disproving existing kind of ar- archaic knowledge. So from that perspective, when we look at sustainability, I think venture capital has an amazing, amazing role to play because it can um, it can advance an agenda that any other type of investor would not be able to. Um, sust- support initiatives and companies at that Im- um, important part of their journey where they don't necessarily have all, all the evidence that this could work, but they do have some indication of that evidence. So from my, my perspective, venture capital can help accelerate um, c- c- companies that sit in this space and in the impact space, um, and they can catalyze the investment ecosystem. Because every time um, every time a fund invests um, is like for every dollar, every dollar, they're like two dollars of private money from angels and from uh, grants. So it has an important role to play. Um, and I've you know we've seen quite a number of various different accelerator uh, s- positioning themselves like sustainability accelerator. We've seen that the sort of fourth fund they're launching. Nesta doing quite a lot of work. We've seen funds like Ananda and Bridges. Um, And we have even seen kind of very large corporates uh, like Amazon deploying quite a lot of capital to sustain uh, innovation at the earliest stages. So I feel very, very optimistic that actually uh, venture capital as a vehicle of of deploying funds and sustaining um, entrepreneurs with different solutions it applies across a number of verticals and industries um it's is definitely the most rapid way of getting those companies to scale and to start changing meaningful change
0: do you think it, i i take that and i think that's a really interesting viewpoint i i've you know history tells me and sort of my innate sort of human beingness of being in the room with some of these people i think it's going to take more than that do you think that there needs to be some sort of um coalition or some sort of agreement or outward Mm. sort of promise that they have to be investing in X sustainable because otherwise you just got you know it's a nice to have not a must have and also you know there are vendors and that sort of stuff
1: um I, I'm being very mindful that ESG and impact agenda, it's becoming um, a matter of um, kind of public discourse. So it's not just for funds, but it's for everyone. Um, it's for corporates, it's for governments, it's at the top of the sort of a political agenda, even the largest investment banks, even the largest fund managers in the world, the ones that are managing kind of trillions of dollars, have made a commitment to give this uh, very serious thought and to have in their portfolio companies that support a sustainable, and ESG purpose. I know that there's, there's still kind of very flexible way, ways of interpreting this. Sorry, I, I think I got interrupted. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was saying that even even the the larger fund managers um, implementing this, they're still kind of not very robust ways of implementing it. But if the biggest, you know, the biggest, most regulated investors, mutual funds, pension funds, investment um, I- investment funds like wealth management funds are doing this. Then it should definitely be a, a very important consideration for a venture capital fund manager. Yeah. Um, th- there is no excuse to disregard um, the impact your investments and your activity um, have on the environment and the society and the community in which they they invest. And the second element that everybody should definitely be aware of is that venture capital um, fund managers, um, end up having investors in their funds. So these are LPs from some of these very large organizations, mm-hmm. some of these very large institutional investors, which have ESG agendas at the, the forefront of what they're doing right now. And they're taking very important decisions with trillions of dollars on a daily basis. So I'm, I feel that it's going to be very unlikely that the venture capital uh, fund manager is going to have an option to to consider or not consider it i think it's going to be you know baked thin what they have to do in, yeah in deploying that capital
0: I, I think so i think it's got to go that way in a number of senses because there is so much power focused on these people and you know ability yeah. to make or break let's talk a bit about that actually while we while i'm thinking about it um I get to speak to a lot of founders uh, through the journalism side and organising TBD the conference. Um, some are shells, I think, would be a fair way of saying, because of recent events, but also because of the way that VCs can churn through the system. If that makes sense, what do you, um, where do you think the startup world's going? Is it is it it's got a good and bad rap lately, but it is fair to say that. You know, the startups are the meat, you know, that go through the sausage machine and, you know, oh. it, is, it is push, push, push uh, and that sort of stuff. And um, what's the where, where is it going?
1: Uh, that, that is a tricky question. <laughs> um, OK, so um, we all know that venture capital is about um, sustaining companies that have a very low probability of success. But. At a portfolio level, you don't need a lot of them to succeed. You just need one or two to to return the whole fund and make quite a lot of progress. I mean, let's just take an example like UiPuff. You know, early stage investors in the fund have deployed at in 2015, um, 1.5 million. They've made, um, I think it was 3 billion as of yesterday, potentially is a lot more today. Um, it's it's the, those sort of odds. They're you know we're looking at less than kind of two percent success rate across the industry. Um, it's clear that in order to to have a very successful company, you're going to have a lot more that actually don't make it. And it's about this velocity. Um, it, it is about churn. It is about. Being able to look at the whole ecosystem and select the ones that have the ability to scale within the sort of three to five years very quickly and to be companies that are worth billion plus dollars. This is the consideration and this is in the back of the mind of every single um, venture capital um, partner and principal and associate. That is what everybody is searching for um sadly i think that some funds might not necessarily have a very human led approach in the way they manage that so they are introducing systems which um basically it's almost like an automated response we've all been there sent you know in i remember when i finished university i was sending these cvs and i just got an automated response um, it meant nothing. It gave me no real feedback. I think that potentially the, some of the larger funds that have tens of thousands of applications a year are probably going to have to shift, and they, they have already done so um, in that direction. Um, the smaller ones, I think, um, will have will still retain the human-level being able to mentor being able to communicate slightly more effic- efficiently with founders and give real meaningful feedback um this is this this is just a natural um natural kind of separation of of how we do things in our ecosystem yeah. is an SME, you know, if they refuse someone for a job, they might spend half an hour, an hour spending, you know, tell the, telling them how they can improve or some of the things that they do to get the experience. A corporate will never do that. Um, it's the same situation in VCs. Octopus, for example, I, I remember seeing... Um, seeing them speak at one of the event and they said they received over kind of 30,000 applications in one year. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no physical way to spend even 10 minutes with all, every single company. if everyone in the organization did the sort of 10 minutes call. Um, for that reason, yes, it, it just has that kind of reputation. but this is why it's so important for founders to think very carefully of the type of investor and the type of fund and the type of relationship that you want to have. And from these 800 funds that we're very privileged to have in our ecosystem, to be able to narrow down to the type of investor and the type of proximity and the type of value add that you want um, to have with you on this long journey Mm-hmm. Because it's, 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 yeah, it's a long journey. It, it can take seven years. In some cases, it can take 10 years plus. So very, very important to be able to distinguish between these de- different types of investors and mm-hmm. what they bring to the table and how they work. Um, I think that that is the best advice that I can give um, founders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as clear cut. And sometimes there are things that the even the VCs, even with the best intentions, they can't control just because of the volume that they're receiving.
0: I think that's interesting. I I think it's... difficult issue for them numbers wise and quality Mm -hmm. wise obviously because all those 30,000 I'm sure you know somewhere somewhere in some universe would would fly and that sort of stuff. My issue that I have with a lot of founders and VCs when I speak to both sides and that sort of stuff equally either one side is either pushing too hard than the other wants and therefore there's a a mismatch there but I think for from the outside to many it seems like the VCs are the ones pushing and pushing and help and almost forcing some businesses to make different decisions and that sort i'm not saying it happens all the time i've definitely seen it that, um do you yeah, think that's, uh, do you think agree or do you think the prism's just skewed because of media and everything like
1: that um i think media and of course the various different publications we all kind of live and breathe and, and read on a almost a daily basis um tend to highlight specific uh, specific uh situations whether they're very positive or very negative um so potentially polarizing some of the in the reality that we're dealing on a day-to-day basis. I think one, one thing I will clarify, venture capital funds are not there to manage businesses, um, but they are there to defend their own interests. So there will be specific scenarios like um, valuations or getting a new investor in and maybe a new investor that wants to kind of remove some of their rights or remove them from the board. It happens. Everybody should be aware. Um, if you, you know, if you're going through this journey and you're going to have like a seed investor, uh, maybe a seed fund, and then you're going to have a Series A fund, and if you know everything being well and you're doing a great job, you're going to have a sort of much, much larger fund coming at Series B and Series C, um, you're you're going to have a lot of conflicting interests because all, all the new investors that are coming with a lot more money and a lot more influence are going to want to almost dethrone the previous funds and strip them of those rights. So every founding team should really prepare for that journey and understand those things that are incredibly important. Um, and and usually they're very simple. What happens when you're capitalizing, when you're raising a new round? What happens when um, when you want to hire another 100 people and then you have to create these massive incentivization schemes to retain the best talent? Um, it's in those situations that if the founders have never dealt with it, they don't seek um, independent advice. Of course, they, the the VCs are going to, focus on on what is potentially good for them. Um, There might be some great VCs out there that will think about what is the right way of doing things and what is the the right solution for this company right now. Mm. But fundamentally, the people that will be sitting on the board, sometimes they will have this conflicting interest between what is good for their fund and what is good for your company. Um, Hopefully... Um, the solution is something that founders and investors can come together and, and, and discuss and agree. There is no fast in, in, in and quick rule for, for this one. Um, there will be 100,000 different scenarios where you could potentially go head-to-head with one of your investors, how they view this, this sector and how they view growing your company. But it's very important for every founding team Um, to just realize that the investor is there for the journey the investor is not there to replace you it's not there to run your company it's there to support you and there's some amazing investors out there that can do um, such magical things uh, beyond giving you capital Um, but it's 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 about this knowledge it's about going through the funding journey and assessing the investors that you're getting on board as much as they are assessing you. Um, it's that, from that knowledge that you will realize how they react in specific situations. Um, it's about speaking with some of their portfolio companies and finding out um, how certain things have been dealt with. That is what's going to give a founder or founding team the, the confidence to go out there and say, yes, I want to work with that fund. Um, I think that they're someone that I can trust for the, the long journey ahead.
0: Just on that, what do you think of sites like Landscape.vc and that sort of thing, the sort of glass door of um, Silicon Valley, as somebody called it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's a very good one. Um, I think, you know what, we need we need something very, uh, very similar like that. We need it in Europe. Mm. Um, because, you know what, um, reputational equity is very important in this space. Um, founders, and I'm I'm speaking from from experience, I I have so many friends and we have some shared friends, Paul, that are building businesses and they have sacrificed so many years of their lives. They've poured everything that they've had in their companies. Um, It's not just a business. It's not just another company in the portfolio. For them is everything they have and everything they want to achieve in this life Um, And I feel that if VC investors have to look at that reality and have to be able to manage things in in a different way, and if they're predatory VCs or if they're predatory in their approach, you know what, we should call them off. I think it's fair to do that.
0: I definitely agree. I think there's got to be a lot of change put in the world. And I think a lot of it has to come at different access points along the way. And one of them is where the money is. And that is, you know, who gets funded, when they get funded and how much they get funded. But also how they treat people. That's, that's one of the biggest things at the moment I think I'm seeing along the way of, um, you know, all through lockdown, um, whether that's staff, whether that's, you know, investors and that sort of thing. I, I feel like that, that, those are the time, this is the time and those are the things that people are really focusing on.
1: Well look I I I completely appreciate that and I I think we've all um have had a friend or a company that had a conversation with their investor and um ended up crying because they just can't deal with the pressure um I've been on the other side with my portfolio companies dealing with some of the the funds in the ecosystem so I I do appreciate that there has to be a way of sharing these experiences so that as a founder, when you're going out there in the ecosystem and you're speaking with people, you know what you're signing yourself for. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the style of working aligns more with you, and we all know that they're, they're. They're founding teams that are slightly more aggressive. They're slightly more resilient. Maybe they can deal with an investor that is slightly tougher. um, But that doesn't work for everyone. Um, And the fact that you might not necessarily have that resilience to stress and to very tough conversations Mm. doesn't mean that you can't build a great business. Doesn't mean you can't be successful. It just means that you need an investor that works and understands and you can communicate and you can do business. Because yeah. this is fundamentally about doing business with someone that um, it, where, where it's mutually beneficial.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, just before I ask you for your Desert Island tweet, I'll put it up, don't worry. Um, biotech is uh, one of the things I'm really interested in at the moment. It's seeing a massive wave of investment um, across the US and across the UK. Uh, it's Europe even um, yeah well we have to say that nowadays don't we it's crazy all uh, right from wearables to telemedicine um, what's going to disrupt uh, the industry in Europe and um, the US where healthcare systems seem to be great but for different reasons you know yeah
1: oh my this, this is such a it's such a close to heart subject um, I think US is you know it's a few years ahead of what happens in Europe I, I think we all have to acknowledge it it's just so much more capital, so many more funds, so many generational funds supporting this this part of the the market. and the sort of academia funds um, and capital journey and and proximity is is a lot you know a lot better um, in, I, I think that between between you know looking at the next two years, what we're gonna see in Europe is potentially an I do realize that Europe is a very fragmented market when it comes to the delivery of health, when it comes to life sciences, so this kind of new drugs discoveries. Um, We're going to see across all these different jurisdictions, all these different countries, um, digital health and the delivery of health um, being at the sort of core of what is being funded Um, And just to give you, put it in perspective, um, until this last year, we hardly had any funding rounds supporting companies. Yes, there were a few, um, mostly kind of Central Europe. um, But last year in Central and Eastern Europe, we've had around a couple of hundred companies invested. So that's a very important, you know, that's a very important trend. I think that innovation is going to start to, permeate um every different region of europe Um, digital health so this is this is kind of the sort of delivery digitizing the the connection between clinicians and patients um especially around chronic conditions i think this is the major one so if you're a patient you have maybe diabetes or um, heart di- heart disease, then you're gonna be able to work with your consultant, to work with potentially many different professionals in the healthcare a lot better. That doesn't exist right now in many jurisdictions across Europe. Um, so I think that that is um, something that is coming and is going to permeate every bit of our um, of our ecosystems. The second element that is is potentially is potentially, uh, you know, going to increase in, in activity is the sort of provider solutions. So these are solutions like SAS, but for hospitals, um, private or public, the way in which they store, manage data, they enrich data, they take decisions. So it's not just about the sort of diagnostic it's about the sort of broader picture of how you manage the journey of a patient for the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you make decisions about, you know, life critical decisions um, based on the data that you have, which for many jurisdictions actually across even, even NHS, um, it's, it's siloed. Um, you're unable to kind of passport your data to be able to to take it very you know freely and completely from one place to another, um, the other the other thing, of course, I, th- I think we're we're gonna continue to have many different areas like oncology um, and drug discovery across the whole space. I think oncology is a very important one for Europe. We have amazingly strong research universities and institutions, so we're we're still gonna see quite a lot of activity at that level. Um, but there are some there's some, let's say, um less 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 science based and perhaps more around more around the experience, something that is more B2C. Um, and those are um those are systems that are potentially in the mental health, wellness, uh, women health um, applications. We've seen a lot being done in that space, and I think that this is going to continue. Um, we're seeing this kind of emerging initiatives supporting um, women, supporting um, supporting um, different groups in our societies, and I, f- I feel very confident that that is the starting point of something really great. Um, as we've seen in the U.S., um, anything from the way in which you interact with and access uh, mental health professionals to the way in which you, you manage your, your sort of cycles and the way in which you order your, your, your prescriptions, everything that has, you know, we all go through that, I think is going gonna, is gonna to change. And it's going to change because of all these companies um, developing in every single ecosystem across Europe. And I I think that this is such an important momentum. We had over 1.3 billion invested in this space uh, in 2020, yeah. and there's substantially more capital um, looking to back companies like this. And
0: I, I, I really agree. I I think what they've they seem to have sort of glommed onto this sort of like a real need and funding real needs. Whereas you know when you see. Yeah. Somebody funding a dog pound for outside supermarkets, and you're like, that's not needed. You just need to be better people, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> figure it out, you know, and that's the thing. And then you've got people, you know got people needing products for sanitary towels and that sort of stuff. And it's just like, I, I feel like there is a slight tide turning, but it's I don't think it's happening fast enough. And I certainly don't think there's enough money about it. But we will we'll have to hold that for another time, I think, because it's um, yeah. about for uh, your uh, desert island tweet so uh, if you take a look at the nest at the top of the screen you'll see your tweet that you've chosen why, why have you chosen this one desert island tweet um i'm not sure i can see it oh it might sorry <laughs> it might take a while to come up it's i mean you've seen the, uh, the harvard business review book on climate change the effects of climate change are only getting worse your organization taking the right steps to. Maintain. yeah
1: i i think this is this is about um why i've selected this one First of all, we were touching on sustainability and, and the fact that it's a shared responsibility between us and um, every single one of us individually. The way we think about consumption, the way we think where our products come, the way we select the, you know, even where we shop, it will, it feeds into this much broader agenda. Um, the article focuses more on the corporates and what they can do, because corporates play an important role Um and they can have massive impact by just implementing very small policies. Like in one case, I I remember there was a very large American bank, not ours. Um, and the fact that they um, inputted uh, systems where you put you, you you only allowed to print like twenty pages a day, mm. which I know is, it sounds ridiculous, and I know that some employees in the uh, in the firm were probably very upset. But they saved around um, twenty million on paper. Um, can you imagine how many trees? Uh, what does that mean in yeah. impact of taking one tiny little policy uh, of preventing people from, you know, printing what is absolutely useless anyway? The moment you print it, you're probably not going to use it unless it's a legal document, and you need to wet sign it. Um, I, I think that, you know, I think that corporates have an ability to do great things and the way we think about sustainability climate change this very small um, very small policies like enabling your employees to work from home not having to commute every day that has a substantial impact to the world we live in to the societies especially in urban areas there where pollution and um lung diseases many other conditions are coming at a result and they're affecting a lot more people than ever before um i think that that is that is why i've selected it because i i think it's creating a bit of our um discussion around the the role that corporates play and us people working for for those organizations how we can advance it and and some of the things that we can take away in our personal lives
0: Thanks for listening. Find out more about Mouthwash and the next season over at mouthwashshow.com. Mouthwash is recorded live on Twitter spaces before becoming the podcast you've been listening to. Thanks to Ecology for planting a tree for every listener and Shell for sponsoring the show. Let me know if you're enjoying Mouthwash so far by leaving us a rating and a review. Remember to subscribe to Mouthwash wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes featuring activists, AI experts, Silicon Valley royalty, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists, and a whole lot more besides. See you next time, and remember, always start or end your day with a little mouthwash.